Broadcasting live from the North Fulton Business Radio X studio, it's time for To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow. To Your Health is brought to you by Morrow Family Medicine, an award-winning primary care practice, which brings the care back to health care. Good afternoon. This is Dr. Jim Morrow with Morrow Family Medicine, and I appreciate your time today or whatever day it is you might be listening to this as a podcast. Mara Family Medicine is a primary care practice in Cumming and Milton, Georgia. Uh, we believe it's important for us to see you when you need us, so we have a variety of ways you can do that, one of which is our walk-in hour, five days a week from 7.30 to 8.30 in either location, so don't hesitate to take advantage of that if you feel the need. I'm here today with John Ray. John runs the board and takes questions and so forth. How are you doing, John? I'm great, Jim. Wonderful. How are you doing this Good. morning? Good. I'm good. It's hot in here again today. It's hot in here. Beautiful day outside. It is nice. With a lot of pollen. A lot of pollen. That's exactly right. A lot of pollen. I wonder why you brought that up. I know. So you can reach us by either email or Twitter. The email is drjim at toyourhealth.md, or you can tweet us at at toyourhealthmd. So John's talking pollen because today we're going to talk about allergies and I'm probably the perfect person to talk to somebody about allergies because I'm a horrible, horrible allergy sufferer. I take enough medicine every day to knock most people out for allergies, and it controls it pretty well, but it's a nuisance. So when you hear somebody talk about having allergies, usually they're talking about what we call rhinitis or upper respiratory symptoms. That's runny nose, watery eyes, sneezing, itchy eyes and ears, and that kind of thing. Uh, But allergies can be due to the things you see on your car, the pollen. We'll get to that later. Uh, But also, you can have allergy to food or medications or plants or substances. Uh, Animal dander is a big uh, allergen for a lot of people. So when you talk about these these allergies, what you're really talking about is the diagnosis of allergic rhinitis. And this is a, a diagnosis that's made when the history and physical findings are consistent with an allergic cause, uh, the pollen in the air. Now, the pollen you see on your car is actually not what's causing your problem because the pollen you can see is actually too big to get into the tiny spaces where it needs to be to cause you a lot of trouble. But the pine pollen, which you see on your car, is in fact a harbinger of terrible things coming. It means that all the other trees are putting out pollen now. The birch and elm and oak trees are putting out their pollen, and those are the things that people actually have a reaction to. Reactions like sneezing, itching, congestion, that kind of stuff. Running those watery eyes are just terrible symptoms. make you miserable. They make you tired. Uh, They make you irritable, probably. Uh, People who do have allergic rhinitis like this to the point of needing to see someone should be uh, also assessed for other problems uh, that can be related to this, like asthma. You can certainly have allergic asthma. You can have atopic dermatitis. Atopic means allergic, so that's pretty much a no-brainer there. You can have sleep-disordered breathing where you're so congested you snore badly or it could even lead to obstructive sleep apnea. Conjunctivitis, that's the irritation in the eyes that makes your eyes red and makes them water. And even ear infections, if you get enough congestion that the tube that usually drains the fluid and pressure from your middle ear is closed up, that fluid will build up. You cough, you cough bacteria up through that tube. It it inoculates that fluid, and it ends up with an ear infection. So there are a lot of things you can get from having allergies. Many of the things we see in the office 
every day are respiratory problems that have some other name, but they stem a lot of times from people having problems with their allergies. Now, you can do an awful lot of testing, blood or skin, for allergies. And if you have allergic rhinitis and allergies and don't respond well to the typical treatment, this is a good idea. If you're not sure what the problem is, it's a good idea as well. X-rays of the sinuses are done probably many more times every day than they ever need to be, but they can be an important part in making a, a diagnosis, not of allergy, but of sinus infections. But these things are done way more than they really need to be. Available over-the-counter to you these days, a medicine like Nasacort and Flonase, these used to be prescription and they're now over-the-counter because they're steroids that can help you, but they're not going to hurt you, so you can get them without a doctor's advice. Uh, these are uh, sprays that go in your nose, and you can do them a different number of times a day, and for some people, they're very effective. Unfortunately, I'm not one of those people. I tried them way back in the day when I was in medical school, and every time I ever try them, I get a cold, and that's one of the listed uh, side effects of those medicines is that you can end up with an upper respiratory infection, and I've tried everyone on the market, but some people do like them. There are new antihistamines. Everybody's familiar with Benadryl, and for most people, Benadryl works, but it knocks you out to the point of not being able to function. But these, quote, second-generation antihistamines that are out now are very effective. Those are typically Claritin, Allegra, and Zyrtec. Um, those medicines are, are effective for an awful lot of people, and they're certainly safe to try. So if you're dealing with this kind of symptom, trying some Claritin, or Zyrtec, Allegra, any one of those is probably not a bad idea. In my opinion, Claritin is probably the most effective one. It's not going to make you sleepy. None of these are supposed to. Zyrtec might a little bit. But Claritin doesn't really make you sleepy, but I do find that people do better if they take two Claritin and not one. But don't take two Claritin D, please. Don't take two Claritin D. If you take uh, Claritin D at all, you should only take one, and there are not a lot of instances where the decongestant, which is the D part of that, Sudafed, is really necessary, so I'm not a real fan of that. There are other nasal sprays that you can use. There's an antihistamine nasal spray. Uh, that works well for some people as well. It doesn't work for everybody, but it can be used for allergic as well as what's called perennial rhinitis, which is where you don't really have allergies, but your nose gives you fits and you have trouble 12 months a year. Years ago, a medicine called Singular came out. Singular was a great thing for asthma patients especially, but they really don't use it a lot in in allergy patients, but occasionally someone will get some relief, and it's a very, very safe medicine. It went generic years ago, so it's affordable, which is always good. So there are all these different things that you can do for allergies. Um, a lot of them are, are available over the counter. Some things don't work, and if they don't, you might end up needing to actually see a physician for that. And if you just find that you're chronically bothered with this and you really want to get involved in in getting rid of the allergies, the way to do that is through immunotherapy. Now, people are probably familiar with allergy shots. Many, many people have tried them. Many people get results from them. Some don't. Uh, that, but allergy shots take the things that you're allergic to. They do skin tests to determine what you're allergic to. And then they take very small amounts of the things you're allergic to and prepare them in a serum so that you can get a shot of the things you're allergic to. And by getting it through a shot instead of inhaled, 
then you end up generating a different type of antibody, and it can help to block the allergic response that you get when you actually inhale these uh, pollens or whatever they might be. And you can get uh, allergy shots to most of the inhaled allergens. And like I said, for some people, they work pretty well. They do work better today than they did 20 years ago, but a lot of things are that way. Everything but my knees, probably. Avoidance is the biggest key to treating allergies. And, of course, with pollen, it's very, very difficult. But if you do have severe allergic rhinitis to inhaled pollens and things in the environment, keep the air conditioner running. Keep your windows closed. Don't ride around with your car window open. And try to avoid, to the degree that you can, the things that you are pretty sure you're allergic to. Occasionally, people who have bad allergies will have enlargement of the mucosa up in the nose, the layers of folds of mucosa that are there to warm the air and to filter out things in the air that aren't supposed to be in your lungs. And these things can overgrow to a pretty good extent. And in that case, sometimes surgery is actually necessary to help to get rid of the symptoms that you might be having. So that's a real quick and dirty list of things you can do for allergies And I will tell you from experience that nothing works like avoidance, but it's just incredibly difficult. So testing for allergies is something that I get asked about a lot at the office. People come in and they want to be tested for a penicillin allergy or for eggs or for anything else like that. And a lot of people have this sort of problem. There's probably, I'd say, 10 to 30 percent of people in the population have some sort of allergy. And the clinical presentations can be the things I already mentioned, plus you can also have autoimmune conditions that have uh, similar features that will kind of uh, mix and match with allergies, and it can be difficult sometimes to tell what you're dealing with, so testing can be very important. They help to guide treatment as well. I mentioned that if you are allergic to pollens, you can find out the specific ones, and you can get shots and so forth for those particular things. So the, the Allergy testing is an important part of trying to find out how to best deal with this. People do have uh, inhaled allergies. The skin testing, like I mentioned, is uh, the preferred method. In food allergies, you hear a lot of people talk about being allergic to peanuts and sometimes eggs and so forth. The best way to test is to eliminate what you think you might be allergic to and then challenge back. Now, this is not true for peanuts, So if you have a peanut allergy, don't be trying this because you'll wake up with an EpiPen stuck in your leg. If you have a food allergy, you think, for example, that shellfish gives you a rash or something makes you flushed or something like that, then you can avoid that food for a period of time, a couple of weeks maybe, and then challenge yourself with a good bit of that food. This is a common way to test for milk allergy which is actually an intolerance more than an allergy. But you can avoid that for two weeks and then drink a gallon of milk. And if you get the symptoms from that that you thought you were getting from the milk, it's a pretty good bet that that's what the problem was. So food allergies are done a little bit differently like that. Patients can also have, as with nuts, an anaphylactic reaction. And anaphylaxis is a whole body reaction is the entire human organism reacting to the allergy. And what happens mainly is that this complex of what you're allergic to and the antibody you have to it combine and they cause chemicals to be released in your bloodstream that dilate your arteries to the point that your blood pressure falls to the point where you can't sustain life. 
So an anaphylactic reaction is a true life-threatening emergency. And if you know someone who's allergic to something and you ever get a whiff that they're having a true anaphylactic reaction, they need an EpiPen. Don't offer these people Benadryl. If you have a friend who's allergic to bees and they get stung by a bee and they start getting lightheaded and dizzy and faint feeling and so forth, they need epinephrine. They need an EpiPen. They will die with Benadryl undissolved in their stomach if you try to treat that with Benadryl. So an anaphylactic reaction is a very, very important thing to recognize and for someone to be aware of themselves. And these people hopefully do and certainly should carry an EpiPen. They should have one in the car, in their pocketbook, in their uh, briefcase, wherever they might be. They need to have an EpiPen around because you never know, certainly when a flying insect is going to beat you, bite you. They might beat you as well. And you also don't know when somebody might have some nuts that you're allergic to in some sort of food. That's a big problem as well. We hear an awful lot of people talk about being allergic to penicillin. I would be willing to say that 10% of the patients I see say they're allergic to penicillin, and it's been shown that a large majority of people who think they're allergic to penicillin are not. And a lot of that stems from when I was a, a youngster and you would go to the doctor with anything, it made no difference what it was, and you would get a shot of penicillin. And very frequently, people get a shot and they pass out, and they would be labeled as being allergic to penicillin when in fact what they're allergic to is getting a shot, not allergic to penicillin. So it's a, a big important thing to, to know. Now, thinking you're allergic to penicillin and not being is not the end of the world. There are not many instances you're going to be in where penicillin is the only medication that could possibly save your life or cure whatever's wrong with you. There are some, but there are not many. And in the situation, if you were ever in it, where you're in a hospital and you have an infection and penicillin is the drug for you, then they can introduce that in very small doses at one time and desensitize you to the penicillin, and then you can be treated. But if six months later you have an infection and need it again, you'd have to be desensitized all over again. So it's quite a process. Luckily, there are many, many antibiotics that are not cousins of penicillin that typically can be used for that kind of thing. Contact dermatitis is a, a problem. A lot of times people will have allergy to things they come in contact with. The one you're probably most familiar with is poison ivy, uh, poison oak, and poison sumac. I don't think I've ever seen sumac. And you can't look at the rash and tell if it was ivy, oak, or sumac, but it really doesn't matter. It's a nasty rash that nobody would want that many, many people get, especially this time of year when they start getting out and cleaning up the yard and that kind of thing. It's important to know when you're talking about uh, poison ivy and contact dermatitis that if you think you have an area of poison ivy in your yard. Don't pull it out and burn it. I don't care if it's brown and dead and brittle. You can still get the reaction from it no matter what because it comes from the oil that's still inside it. And if you burn it, the smoke will get into your lungs, and that will get you contact dermatitis in your lungs. You end up with a pneumonitis, which I can promise you you do not want. So that's a, a Great bit of advice for anybody that's out working in the yard. If you see a vine running up a tree, put some long sleeves and some gloves on before you start pulling that thing off and wash your hands with good cold water and, and a lot of soap as soon as you do. There's one soap that helps to get poison ivy off the skin. That's called Octagon Soap, and you are not going to find that in your local grocery store 
or a drugstore, you're going to have to order that online probably. But Octagon Soap has been shown to actually break the bond of the oil and your skin. Because if you don't do something like that and you have it on your hand, yes, you'll react there. But also, if you touch that spot and touch another spot or a friend, you're going to end up with you and your friend having contact dermatitis in other spots. And it's just nasty and you don't want it. I mentioned food allergies a little bit, and I'd like to talk about that a little bit more. Family docs need to be able to separate true food allergies from food intolerance, like I mentioned uh, with milk or food dislikes and other things that can mimic uh, food allergies. So that's an important thing for us to keep an eye out for. The most common things are milk and eggs and seafood, peanuts, and even tree nuts. I don't know that I've ever had a tree nut, but Hopefully, I'm not allergic to it. The skin testing and the blood test can be helpful in evaluating food allergies, but you don't perform these unless you have a history that really suggests a good likelihood of a specific food to be targeted because you really can't test for everything. And these tests are not confirmatory. They're a test that kind of leads you in the right direction more than anything else. But they require a food challenge or clear history of an allergy to the food to really label a patient as having had that. I'd be willing to say that probably 70% or more of children who have milk or egg allergies will outgrow them. But if you have a nut allergy, the odds are that's not going to be something you outgrow. So be extra careful, like I mentioned earlier, about nut allergies. Now, there are some foods that cross-react with some environmental allergies. Talked about things you inhale, like the different pollens. So if you're allergic to birch pollen, for example, you might also have some reaction if you eat carrots or celery, hazelnuts, apples and cherries, that kind of thing. If you're allergic to certain grasses, kiwi and tomatoes might give you some symptoms because there's some cross-reactivity there. And ragweed, which comes along during the late part of summer, early part of fall, is a cross-reaction with bananas and some melons. So if you have any of those inhaled allergies from those pollens, don't be surprised if there are some foods that give you trouble. I think most of you know that I am in Georgia, and in Georgia we have an allergy season of some sort that runs from, I'm going to say the first of March, who knows when the first tree pollen really comes out, but when it does, man, it just pours. But let's call it the first of March all the way into the middle or later part of October because it's, it's tree season right now. The pine pollen's just about at the end, which means most of the tree pollen's going to be leaving us. And then it's going to be grass season. The Bermuda grass starts to grow and, and turn green, and the pollen is out from those. And then also after grass season, it's flowering plant season. After flowering plant season, it's ragweed season. And after ragweed season, it's flu season. And then it starts all over again. So it's always a season here in Georgia no matter what. So because it's always a season at Mara Family Medicine, we try to be ready for you when you show up. We use a lot of technology. We try to use old-fashioned attitudes to do our best to make you feel better when you come see us. One of our main objectives is to see you when you're sick. So we do make every effort to do that. If, if it's just impossible to get you in one office, we frequently can see you in the other. We just ask that you be patient enough with us to drive from one to the other. It's not but about 15 minutes apart. And I'd like to say that if you like what you're hearing on the podcast, if you want to be sure you don't miss out on any episode, 
please take a moment to subscribe to To Your Health with Dr. Jim Mora on the application that you're listening on or the computer, wherever you might be right now. John, did I mention it's hot in here today? You did. So (laughs) another big cause of allergy symptoms is really not an allergy at all. Uh, A few minutes ago, I mentioned perennial rhinitis, and perennial means the same thing in this instance that it does with your flowers. It means they're always there. And there's a thing called chronic non-allergic rhinitis, which covers a large group of uh, people and patients that have symptoms like this without an allergic cause. And these are symptoms that typically are 12 months a year. They can be incredibly persistent and frustrating. And because there's not a known cause for them, treating them can be very difficult. Uh, The antihistamines, fortunately, do still work for an awful lot of these people. But there's probably about 25% of people with these rhinitis symptoms. But that 25% of people is about 20 to 30 million people in the United States alone. The cause of it is unclear. The diagnostic testing is not available. This is somebody that's had a bunch of tests done, and their tests are negative, and they're miserable. They have all the same symptoms. They're just miserable. There are a lot of different types of these things. Some of them are uh, drug-induced. Some are hormonal. Some are workplace environment. Some are things that you smell and make you sneeze. I get some of that myself. Some are what you'd call geriatric rhinitis. I see a lot of geriatric rhinitis, and this is basically older patients, of course, who have a persistent runny nose, and it frankly drives them crazy. And luckily anymore, there's a very good nasal spray that we use for that that will dry that up in no time flat and can give them an awful lot of good relief. So it's a really good thing to be able to give these people some relief from something that they've had a problem with in a lot of cases for a very long time. As you can tell from what I've said, the treatment is driven by the symptoms. And if people have periods when they are a little bit better, then they certainly can back off of the treatment. And that's true for anybody's allergies. If you're lucky enough to have just tree pollen allergies, then you're going to be miserable between the months of March and April pretty much. And when that's over, you're going to be okay. And during that time, you can take an awful lot of antihistamines and the nasal steroids and so forth so that you can avoid some of these symptoms and not be quite as miserable as you otherwise might be. Some people will do nasal irrigation. And if you have seen the commercials on television for the nasal lavage machine that I can't understand how anybody could ever possibly do that. These things will irrigate your nasal cavity and how they don't drown you. I hadn't quite figured it out yet, but they can work for some people. And if you feel like that's something that might help you, those things are out there available. They don't need a doctor's prescription or anything. You might need to see a doctor after you use it because it looks to me like it just make you just miserable. I don't think I could do that myself. And there's one other thing in relation to allergies that happens, and this is something that a lot of people, probably most people have had at some point, and that's urticaria or the hives. Now, you can get the hives for almost a million reasons. You can get them from cold weather. You can get them from stress. You can get them from allergies to food or environmental things or anything that comes in contact with your skin. You can get them from pressure. You can get it from exercise. But you don't want to assume that any rash you get is the hives because there's too many things out there that can give you a rash that can look like the hives, which are red, swollen, 
usually frequently enlarging areas on your skin that itch to no end. But there are also a long list of things that can be a real medical problem for you. So if you have anything like that, don't just ignore that. One thing I don't think I've said on the podcast before is that I preach to patients every day not to say the five most dangerous words in the English language, which are, maybe it will go away. And a rash is a good example of something you don't want to say that about. It might be very, very mild, but it could be very serious in the long run, and that can change in a heartbeat. So it's a good idea to be aware of anything like that. So in a nutshell, if you have allergies, I feel sorry for you, but there's an awful lot of help for you. There are pills, there are sprays, there's avoidance, there's all kinds of things you can try to do. And don't hesitate to go to your family doctor and talk to them about the options because I can promise you there are going to be some options you haven't thought of yet, something that Google didn't tell you about, and it's going to be something that might actually be able to help you. So that's a summary of allergies, and I hope that helps some people. I do want to take a minute and mention another couple of things. We're going to have some questions here in a minute, I think. Uh, John's been over there collecting a few. But also, I wanted to mention that uh, six years ago, seven actually, my wife Peggy and I started a charity in Forsyth County, Georgia, to raise money for the many children in the county that didn't have the technology they needed to succeed in school. If you think about school today, many of the classes, many of the assignments are webinars or they're online in some fashion, and you have to be able to get online with a device and an Internet connection to do homework, to do research, and so forth. And we, we found out seven years ago that a couple of thousand families actually didn't have this in the county, and so it was Peggy's idea to start a charity to raise some money to try to help this because, as she says, if you and I are the only two people in the classroom that don't have a device or Internet, we're at a significant disadvantage. And if you're going to succeed, you're going to need this. So we started what's called the Forsyth BYOT Benefit. BYOT means bring your own technology. And that's an initiative that the Forsyth County Schools started many years ago to teach kids to use the Internet and devices safely and responsibly while they're in school. I think they probably figured the kids are going to bring devices. We may, may as well make them good at it and make them responsible with it. And I think it's very important. So we started the Forsyth BYOT Benefit. We have two events a year. We have a golf tournament in May, and we have a 5K and fun run in October. So I'm talking about this because the golf tournament is about 10 days away. I'm going to put a link on the toyourhealth.md website. It's where you can go online and look and see what we're doing and find where you can register for the golf tournament if you'd like to. If you'd like to sponsor, I can promise you we will make that available to you. We've got everything from $150 to $10,000. If if you have more, we will take more. And we appreciate everything that people have done. The community has been incredibly receptive, just the most supportive you could ever hope for with this charity. And we have, to date, given the county schools a little bit over $300,000 over six years. So the seventh year, we're hoping to really add to that. The golf tournament is May the 6th. Uh, registrations at 7.30, shotgun starts at 9 o'clock. It is a scramble, and it's at Polo Golf and Country Club, May the 6th. So that's the Forsyth BYOT benefit. That sounds like a great event. It is. We had a full field last year. We had a fantastic day, and we've always had good weather. Peggy's in charge of weather, 
and she's always come through with great weather. So I'm counting on that again this year. That's why there's always good weather. So you're here talking about allergies and being all stuffed up, and Peggy's out taking care of the weather, right? That's exactly right. Good, a good uh, uh, separation of duties, shall right, we say, right? Exactly. Okay. So uh, we've got one. Um, uh, speaking of golf, there's one. Uh, uh, I'll call them. Must be a friend of yours. Says your your golf game is in a scramble. That's somebody that knows what they're talking about. <laughs> okay. My golf game's a mess. I play anymore about one time a year at the tournament. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, so uh, a question about what if I think I've got an allergy, do I come see you first before I go to the allergy doctor? How does that work? That's a great question, John, and I appreciate them sending that in. The trip to the allergy doctor is something that you might have to do, but it really is probably for the vast majority of people not going to be necessary. Uh, the majority of the things that can be done for that we can discuss in a primary care setting and probably take care of. I love that we have great allergists around because there absolutely are times when we need their help. Uh, they are pretty busy as well. They treat asthma and allergies, so they do stay pretty busy. But for the majority of the time, it's not going to be necessary to see a specialist for this. Gotcha. Now, not to put you on the spot, but one question I've gotten. What's that? You ready? I'm ready. I've had about five or six people ask me, is that guy really as nice as he comes across on the air? (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Well. One of the things that's always bothered me about physicians, John, is that they seem to be, in many cases, uh, haughty, and it drives me nuts. And so I try to be me. I, I tell people to call me Jim. That's what my name is. That's what I like to be called. I just I don't feel the need to be called Dr. Morrow. Um, it's just not an important thing to me. I like getting to know my patients. I like going in the exam room and sitting down and leaning back against the wall and talking with them about what's going on. Um, it's just it's just the way I am. I couldn't imagine doing it any other way. It's uh, the way I've always done it, and it really is just the way I am. Well, I think uh, folks hear the way you come across on the air, and they just wonder if that's the way you are inside the examining room well, i'm afraid they might start wondering does that guy always talk that much <laughs> but that guy doesn't but i do appreciate that and thanks a lot for putting me on the spot that's kind of you yeah well it's a good way to put you on the spot right so next time i want to talk about sleep apnea we're going to have a conversation about sleep apnea who has it who doesn't who needs to treat it and who doesn't and so forth so if you're overly tired and you have an 18-inch neck, tune in in two weeks because you have sleep apnea. And so for now, that is to your health.